thank you. Amen. Give yourselves a hand. Thank you for being here. Praise God. A lot of you. Most of you. And you being here, I don't think you'll ever, and I mean this, I, I wish you could have a cam. not really, I don't want you to have a camera over my life, but I wish just in the day that, days that followed Wednesday, you, you did, you could see the things that I, you could hear the things that I said and, and see the things that I did, but I was so grateful for you guys being here and the support um, that you guys um, gave on that Wednesday. Not only that, but many text messages and phone calls that I've received that have been nothing but an encouragement as I take a step of faith in my life. Um, I know on Wednesday many people were scared and people weren't sure what our meeting was about. And um, so many things going on in our world, they're like, oh no, another bad thing happened now in new life. But if you were here, I, I pray and I think that you took it as a good thing. You took it as a way where the church will become richer, the church would become better. And I truly believe that. And uh, me and my wife, myself, I've come to a place where I've made a decision. And it's really, and you'll see through my message today, it is that step of faith. And I'm excited starting June to go full time here. And, and to say after eight years. And I'm excited for that. I'm excited that now when I wake up in the morning, I don't have to just think about what lesson do I have to teach. And what kids did I forget to write up. And who do I have to meet with. What parent at school. I'm excited that when I wake up in the morning, I have two things to worry about. My house family and my church family for the first time in eight years. I'm grateful. I'm grateful. I'm grateful. Um, with that, there's going to be a lot of amazing things, I'm sure. And God's going to do some great stuff as I do that. It is a step of faith, and that's fine. And, um, but I'm believing in this message today. And I don't want to say much. I just want to go straight into it. And it's leaving it all to gain it all. And that's my message. So if this is your home, this is why I think this message is so important. Don't get distracted. Don't leave. Don't go to the bathroom for, for a few minutes and just pay attention to what God is just pouring in me. Because I have. I've come to a place now. And I am at a place where trusting in my calling has to become more important than trusting in my comfort. And that's the truth. But as I speak that, I don't just speak this to myself because I know that this word is for maybe all of us in this room. Because every single one of us, God is calling us. Not necessarily to the same thing, but to something. But sometimes we get so caught up in comfort, don't we? That we never walk out in what God has called us to do. See, it's easy to find, at least I'm, I'm speaking of myself now, it's easy to find myself preaching here every Sunday, on Wednesdays, the spiritual things of God. It's easy to find myself speaking the, what Scripture calls the mysteries of God. It's so easy for me to do this, but yet while I'm doing this, I'm trusting more in the physical things of my life. I'm preaching the mysteries and the spiritual things of the Lord, but yet... I stand up here and I'm just like, yeah, I'm just preaching this, but I'm leaning on physical stuff. And it's so easy to do that. How many of you could say, I know exactly what you're talking about, right? We tend to do that. I tend to do that. To lean on or put our trust in what we see rather in what we don't see. You know, I think a lot about the, the rich young ruler. Many of you know that story. If you don't know that story, I encourage you to go back home and read it. It's found in Matthew chapter 19. And the rich young ruler is a very interesting story. 
just think about his name. Think about his, the name given to him, rich, young, and ruler. The passage in Matthew 19 goes on to tell us that he had great possessions. This rich young ruler had, had many things, was very wealthy. He had gained it all. I want to use that word for what it means. I mean that today. He had gained it all, gained it. But what's amazing about this is he gained it all at a very young age. Well, what did he gain? Well, he gained many riches and he gained much power at a young age. He was rich, he was young, and he was powerful. He ruled. He had gained it all at a young age. He gained it all. But he had a conversation with the Lord in Matthew 19. And in his conversation with Christ, he actually leaves that conversation and scripture says that he leaves feeling sorrow. He leaves with grief in his heart. And, I, and you know, I've read that so many times and I'm like, man, he leaves with a face-to-face conversation with God and he walks away filled with grief. And that passage tells us why he walks away with grief. It tells us why he walks away with sorrow. And Matthew 19 says he walks away with sorrow, with grief, because he had so much possessions. Now we could read that and we're like, what's so grief about that? What's so sorrowful about that? Be happy. You have a lot of stuff. You got power, you got money, and you got, you got youth. You got your whole life to live in it. But he walks away filled with sorrow, filled with grief. You want to know why he walks away filled with sorrow and filled with grief? He had a lot of possessions. That's why. Let me, let me read to you what Jesus tells him. In Matthew 19, 21, the Lord says this to the rich young ruler. Rich young ruler, if you want to be perfect, if you wish to be complete, he tells him, go and sell your possessions and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And then he says this, and come follow me. Powerful scripture. See, because I read this and the rich young ruler comes up to Jesus and is like, what do I have to do? How, how can I be saved? How can I, how can I just give my life completely to you? And Jesus stops him in his track and Jesus says, you need to get rid of all of your gain. You have to leave it all, leave it all behind, all of your possessions, and and give it away. And and you're going to have all that stuff and more in eternity. Don't worry about the earthly things, he tells them. And then he says, and come and follow me, he tells the rich young ruler. (laughs) He walks away from Christ filled with sorrow. He wanted something, but yet he didn't want to give up what he had to gain it. Does everyone see that? He wanted to receive but he didn't want to give. That might sound like something that you deal with. I don't know. Only you know that about yourself. I know what it looks like to me, which is the reason why I'm taking certain steps in my life. And I get that this is not for everyone to do physically. I'm not saying that either. I understand that that Jesus is not telling you to go sell your house and your cars and all your clothes today. I get that. Maybe some of you. But I get that. He's not telling us that necessarily. But when we read this passage, we can't ignore Christ's call to us, his children. And that is that he is to be our greatest possession. How many of you could say amen? amen? That he has the most worth 
in our lives. The most worth. The rich young ruler wasn't ready to give that to him. The rich young ruler wasn't ready to give him and make him the greatest possession. The rich young ruler was not going to make Jesus the one of great worth in his life. Not yet. You know why? He was still young. Still rich. He had a lot of power. And Lord, I don't know if I want to give that up to you yet. I kind of like it. And he walks away with grief. Because he thought that Christ was going to give him something without asking him to give something of himself. When I read this passage, here he is. Rich, young ruler. Walks away from everything. Because he felt he had everything. Can you imagine the spiritual gain that he would have received? Can you imagine the, what did Christ tell him? The treasures in heaven that he would have had? Just picture that. But he doesn't step into it. He decided instead to walk away from it. I read Matthew 19 and I see, I get it. He missed out on the mysteries of God. He missed out on what God was going to reveal to him. And when I say these mysteries of God, these things that God was going to reveal to him, I'm talking about things that are priceless. Things that are of greater value than all the possessions that this rich young ruler had combined. I'm talking about stuff that God was going to blow his mind with. But he doesn't do it. I want to read a passage just in case you don't fully understand what I'm trying to say about mysteries. Because some of you are like, why does he continue to say mysteries? I think Pastor Javier was here the other day, um, two, three weeks ago, and he was talking about the mysteries of the Lord. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, if you're there, I'm going to read verse 7 on to verse 14. And just Flow with me on this passage. Look what it says here. Here's Paul speaking to the church of Corinth, and he says this, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this day, of this age, knew. For had they known, they would have crucified they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Verse 9, but as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. Man, I could praise the Lord for this stuff. He reveals to me the deep things of himself. No wonder scripture says that angels look at us and marvel because of our salvation. They don't get that stuff. Because you know why? The mystery is not for them. It's for us, his children. And keep reading this and look what it says here. It says, For one man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him. That's true. 
You know only what I reveal to you publicly, but there's things in me that are within me that only the spirit of my man really knows and understands. Isn't that true about every single person in here? But even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. That's good. Because scripture is very clear where that spirit lives now. Look at verse 12. Now we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. That we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. And these things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which is Holy Spirit that teaches us, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. That's an awesome scripture. It's our faith. It's who we are in Christ. It's, it's the reason why you can't do or say anything that is going to rock my faith, to cause me to stop believing in him because there's nothing that you can say or do that's going to rock my foundation in knowing Christ because you can't reveal or unreveal what God has done because his Holy Spirit has already shown it. This mystery has exploded in my spirit. The rich young ruler walked away from that. He walked away from what Paul is talking about here, from the wisdom of God, this this mystery of his scripture. The hidden wisdoms, he walked away from that. He walked away from what no other rulers of Paul's age knew about and no other rulers of our age knows about. Because if the rulers in the White House knew about it, they would stand in it. They don't know about it. If the rulers of this world knew about it, they would go by it, but they don't know about it. You and I have something that that some of the most powerful men in the world don't have, and that is that the mysteries of God revealed through the Spirit of God has been revealed to us, man. That's amazing, guys. I don't know if that's ever hit you. So when I stand before my television and I see these men with, with, with bodyguards dressed in black suits and sunglasses and I see that people can't touch certain celebrities and certain politicians, I look at them and I say, I get why they have that. But what's amazing is I stand in a lowly place and in a humble place with no riches, with nothing, but I have something that others in this world do not have and you have something that others in this world that do not have, like those people on television vision and that is something that the spirit of God has revealed to you the mysteries of God the wisdom of the Lord that's amazing but the rich young ruler walked away with his bodyguards with his riches with his power he walked away from the deep things man the deep Things of God. He walked away from the things that have been freely and were freely going to be given to him. He walked away from things that Paul says the Holy Spirit would have taught him. 
He walks away from things that are spiritually discerned. The rich young ruler missed out on this, and many today miss out on this as well. And I want to ask you this question today. Is it worth leaving it all to gain it all in Christ? Because it wasn't to the rich young ruler. I think about the disciples, they experienced this. They left their fishing nets, they dropped their fishing business. Some of them it was hand down to, it was their father's business, their, the family company. Another disciple walks away from his office and as a tax collector in his tax office. Other disciples, we don't know, it's unknown what they did for a living. But every single one of those disciples walked away from something and they walked into something that they all felt was greater than themselves. Walking away from their awe to walk into his awe. One of the ones who is credited for starting this whole thing is called Abraham. How many of you have heard of Abraham in school? They sing it now with my son, Father Abraham, had many sons. And many of us know that little nursery rhyme. But I want to read Genesis chapter 12, verses 1, 2, 3, and 4, just in case you forgot. In Genesis 12, 1 through 4, look what the Lord tells Abraham. Please do not miss this, guys. It says, now the Lord had said to Abram. He changes his name later on to Abraham. So we're talking about the same person here, Abraham. The Lord tells Abraham, look what he tells him. Get out of your country from your family. Get out of your country. Get out from your family. Get out from your father's house. I'm sending you to a land that I will show you. <laughs> Listen, verse 1 is very difficult. All he knew was Ur. All he knew was that land. All he knew was his family. All he knew was his, his ox and his sheep. All he knew was, was what he's known. And now God rang the doorbell of his heart one day and says, it's time to go. It's time to pack up your bags. It's time to leave. And he's like, well, why should I go? I love verse 2, you know. This is why you need to get out. Come here. Take this step and watch this. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you. I will make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Curse those who curse you. And in you all the families, Abraham, of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him. And Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed. I read this quote this week, and it, I don't really know who said it, but listen to this. God will never leave you empty. He will replace everything you lost. If he asks you to put something down, it's because he wants you to pick up something greater. <laughs> Did that not rock my heart coming into Wednesday? <laughs> I just stared at it, and I was like, I get what you're telling me, God. Let's go back to Abraham. Let's go back to him. Because here is Abraham. And man, did, did God have something greater for Abraham? Did anyone catch what God had for Abraham? Here is, come here. Here's one man with his family taking all his stuff and going to a place that he knows not of. And when it was it? That God had for Abraham. I get that you got all the I wills. I will, I will do all this. But, but did you catch what this one man, Abraham, what was going to come from him? Man, did God have something greater for him. Here's the answer. Where, where Abraham was, was just going to leave a country, God was going to give him nations. 
Abraham was just walking away from his father's house, but God was preparing him for out of you will come nations. Can you imagine if Abraham would have not have followed God's word? He would have missed out from his seed the nations that would have come out of him. Man. He had nations. Just imagine Abraham missing out on all this like the rich young ruler did. Here's Abraham, totally different than the rich young ruler, and he left it all to gain it all. Like I just said, a country left behind, but nations come before him and come from him. To leave it all, to gain it all. Get out of your country, he's basically telling him. Get out from your family, from your father's house. It seems like God is basically just telling him, get out from your awe. Get out from your comfort. Leave all. And then he says, and I will. Thank you, Lord, for the I will. And I'm going to make you great, and I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to make your name great, etc., etc. Hey, did you catch it? Leave all, and I'm going to cause you to what? Gain all. If you leave this all, Abraham, in me, you'll gain all, all that you need. You know what? What sounds better? Abraham living rich in his country or Abraham living rich in eternity? Leave all, gain all. It's easy to say that the gains that God is giving, it's easy. Yes, that's better. God's gain is better. Yes, it's easy to say that after you see it. But how about if the rest of Genesis was not written and you don't know whatever happens to Abraham's life? It's easy to say that. It's harder to believe it when you haven't seen it yet. He left without seeing the promises. Abraham never made a deal with God. He never told God, let me see them first and then I'll leave everything. He just says, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave everything. Guys, I'm, I'm, I'm almost kind of still in my introduction, but my meat of my message is actually short, so don't worry about it. <laughs> but I see what God is doing here. In all of the people that I've ever heard stories from, and in all of the passages that I've ever read in Scripture, here it is. I see what God is doing. How they've gained it all because they left all of themselves. I see what God's doing. And I see... That the great element for us to leave it all, to drop what is all about self, and to gain what is all that is of God, the greatest element is the element of obedience. And that's what this message is about. Almost every story that I read in his word deals with God calling man to obedience. I've been on a special passage this week, and it's not a coincidence. It's actually John chapter 9. If you're there, you could turn to it. And now here is the part where I get into my message. In John chapter 9, as I've been on this passage, it's an amazing, amazing, amazing story. Let's, let's read it so you could get the history behind it. It says, now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. Everyone understand that, right? And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus said, neither this man, remember this verse if you can. 
Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed to him. That's the purpose of his blindness. Like, just really focus on verse 3 for a moment. Verse 4. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in this world, I am the light of the world. That's interesting that he would say that to a blind man. When he said these things, he spat on the ground. Weird. And he made clay with saliva, and then he anointed the man's eyes, the blind man, with this clay. And then he says to this blind man, go watch in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. And he went. I love that. It means sent. And as he was sent, he went. Like, there's, there's a little obedience there. And he washed, and he came back seen. And he came back seen. And I, and, and I stop, and I look at this, and I'm not so caught up in the blind man now being able to see. What an amazing miracle that is. He was blind his whole life. Now he could see. That's great. I get it. But I don't think that's the most amazing thing there. I don't know if any of you caught what's the most amazing thing in this passage, for me at least. What's amazing to me is, is this. Did you notice the process? That's what's amazing to me in that story. Not that the blind man can see. Because I read many of those things here. What's amazing to me about these first seven verses is the process, because the process, if you ask me, is a very awkward process. Let me explain to you what I mean by awkward. It's very awkward for you to be blind and Jesus to spit on the dust of the ground, to stir it up with his fingers to make some clay, and then to put that warmth saliva with clay on your eyeballs. And then after that whole process is done, he t- sends you to another process, which is now called go dip in the pool process. I've been there to that pool. It was so cool to sit in those steps like, whoa, it happened right here. And, 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 I'm, and I'm, I'm remembering this passage today because I look at this and I say, this is so awkward because there's so many stories that Jesus tells people, hey, on the way home, your son is going to be alive. He didn't have to touch them. There are other stories where he spoke to demons, legions, and he's like, get out, and they got out. Didn't have to touch people. But for this gentleman, for some reason, he went through an awkward process of spitting on sand and making it clay and putting it on the eyes and then telling him to wash. That's all very awkward. It's awkward. It's weird. It's not normal if you ask me. And you know what I like about this? I can relate to this because I get this. The spit, the dust, the clay, the washing in the pool. I get what this can do to us. And I get what this can do in this blind man. You want to know what this process can do to you? It could cause you to doubt. It could cause you to be confused. It could cause you to fear. Because I've been blind since birth. And what makes you think that you just spitting on the ground and making some clay and putting it on my eyes and then telling me to wash, what makes you think that's going to heal me? It sounds more like you're mocking me. Doesn't that sound good? That's what you're doing. Awkward is that process. And if I was that blind man, first off, I don't want no one spit on my eyes. And, and, and he's getting spit on and he's getting clayed on. I'm a, I don't like to be dirty. And then he's asking to be washed in the pool and he has to be taken by someone. And it's almost like you're humiliating me. But what I like about this is... Because that whole process that he went through could have really, really, really made him just like wipe off his eyes. I'm going home, man. That's not cool what you just did. And he could have left Jesus. Hey, get me out of here. This guy's crazy. And he could have walked away doubting. Or he could have been made with fear. His fear could have said, well, what happens if I wash this clay off and then I come out and I'm still not seeing 
Because I've never seen before since I, I don't even know what seeing is like. Because all I've known is being blind. So I read this passage and here's what I want to tell you. Ready? Don't let the process be the indicator that leads you to doubt. But let the process be what propels you to live a life of obedience. And that's the truth. The process is the process for all of us. Whether you got to leave things and, and, and who knows whether you're going to have enough tomorrow. And whether you, I mean, there's so many things that you go through that break. You're like, God, why did you let this happen? And God's like, I'm doing a process in you. <laughs> but it's causing me to doubt. But it's causing me to be confused. But it's causing me to fear. And God's like, do you not think I know all that? But this process that I'm taking you to is not so that you can live in doubt and live confused and live in fear. But this process is actually to push you forth and to propel you so that you could actually walk in the purposes of God. And then you could actually walk out in a life of obedience. Come on. Here's the process I'm giving you. Will you go forward? Verse 7 says that he went. That's obedience. He went where he was sent to. And he washed, and then bam, he comes back seen, came back seen. Guys, that came back seen, here it is. That is the will of God. To that blind man, the comeback seen was this. That's what seemed impossible to him. That's what seemed impossible for him to pick up. That's what seemed impossible for him to gain. But he gained it because he left it all. What else do I have to lose? The process doesn't make sense. But when God reveals his glory, you look back at the process and then you say, it made perfect sense why God allowed those things to happen. Because God's perfect will took place. My God. Verse 3 is proof of this. Because verse 3 says that the disciples said, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? And Jesus in verse 3 says what? Not this man, not his parents, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. That's it. That's the gain. But was he worth, was it worth for that man to leave it all? There it is. He could have missed out on seeing. You know that, right? But greater than receiving sight. Did you guys catch what the scriptures tells us? The beauty behind this story is not that the blind man saw sight, not, not that the blind man received sight. The beauty of this story is what? Verse 3, that the works of God were revealed in the blind man. The beauty is the glorification of God, not that the blind man saw. We, because we're carnal and earthly, we say, the, no way. The best thing is that the blind man saw. And God says, no, 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 we're spiritual. The best thing is my glory was revealed. So this step of faith, it's not about anything else that we do as a church, but for the glory of God to be revealed. That's it. That's it. That is it. In all of our lives, that is it. You guys remember Naaman? If you're taking notes, we don't have time to get to there. But in 2 Kings chapter 5, an amazing story. A powerful, powerful man named Naaman gets leprosy. He finds out about this amazing prophet named Elisha. And he goes to Elisha's house and he says, Elisha, come downstairs and, and heal me of my leprosy. I'm a man of power. I'm a man of high rank. I'm a man of a lot of money. So come over here and talk to me. I am worth you talking to me. Elisha's like, nah, I'm not even going to talk to this guy. 
<laughs> he sends his servant down. Hey, can you go down there and tell that dude down there that he thinks he's all powerful and all rich and almighty to go throw himself in the, in the waters over there? The waters were actually very nasty waters. When he finds out about it, he gets so mad. He says, who, this, I'm summarizing in my own words. He's like, who does Elisha think he is that he can't come down and talk to me? I'm a man of power, a man of rank, a man of money. I deserve to be spoken to. He needs to come down here and wave his hand and speak a word of God over my life. But instead he sends his, and he walks away from Elisha with bitterness in his heart. His servant has to run up to him and say, Elisha, can I talk to you? What is it? And he's like, come on, man, think about this. What do you have to lose? If one of the other prophets would have asked you to do this, would you have done it? Here's the man of God. He's asking you to do it. Just go dip yourself in the pool. And what's funny about it is Elisha's like, yeah, go dip yourself seven times. And he's like, it's true. And he's all mad and he's bitter about it. He walks to the water. He's like, I'm just going to do this because whatever. And here, here is this man named Naaman who's leprosy, who's dying. It's, it's sad in these days to have leprosy. You would, you would put um, cloth all around you. You would look like a mummy because it was shameful to walk out in public with leprosy. So he has nothing to lose and he goes to the water and what does he do? He dips himself one time and he's like, come on, do I really have to do it six more times? And Elisha's like, come on, keep going. And he goes two and he goes three and he goes four and do you want to know what I think God was doing with every single one of those dips? What do you think? I think it's more than just healing his leprosy. I think he was destroying his pride. And I think he was humbling him before his servants. And he was humbling him before the presence of God. Come on, dip one more time. How does it feel? One more time. How does it feel? Until all the walls were broken down and all the pride. And on his seventh dip, he comes up. His skin comes back. And you know what, he, you know what Naaman does? He says, today I have seen that there is one true God. And it is the God of Elisha. That's the miracle. That's the miracle. It wasn't that he was cleansed from leprosy. The miracle was the confession that came out after the seventh dip. And it wasn't, I'm healed. It was, there is one true God. The God of Elisha. So that the works of God can be revealed. Guys, you know what he was also was doing to him? Not just humbling him, but will you be obedient you think Naaman ever forgot that? The story of the Bible doesn't continue, but I'm sure he was obedient to God in many other occasions in his life because he never forgot those waters. He never forgot the what? The process. The process is not for you to doubt. How many of you are going through a process right now? I'll raise my hand because I am. Watch this, because we're in this together as a family, so we all confess this. How many of you in that process, let's be honest, because I'm, I'm speaking to myself, how many of you have been struggling with doubt, with fear, with confusion in the midst of that process? There it is, there it is. I'm with you, so I'm not pointing at you saying, you guys suck. No, I'm with you. Okay? I'm with you. Both hands are up, actually. But what's amazing now after today is, oh, I get this. There's a reason for this process. And I'm going to believe that it's for the glory of God. It's not so that I could be this or I could be that or I can get that or I can receive that. It's greater than that. It's so that God can receive the glory at the end. So enjoy the process. I know it sucks to say that. Enjoy the process. But let it propel you to be obedient rather than hold you back and living in fear and living in doubt. Guys, church, 
I'm speaking to myself today as I'm speaking to you. Amen? Amen. So here we go. I end with this. And this is what God really, and this is like the meat of it. If you could open up your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 2. And in 2 Kings chapter 2, something so powerful happens that I hope everyone here gets it. And we're almost done, but I hope that this really rocks you the way it rocked me, man. Once you're there in 2 Kings 2, give me an amen and I'll start. In 2 Kings 2, in 2 Kings 2, Elisha was now following Elijah. Let's talk about Elisha as we get ready to end. And he's pretty much his student. He's going to be the one who takes over the business. He, he's the next prophet in line. He's the next prophet in line. And as he's walking with Elijah, Elijah tells Elisha three times, three times. He tells him, stay here. Number one, I need to go to Bethel. Stay here as I go to Bethel. And Elisha tells Elijah, he says, "Um, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. He's like, all right, come on. There's a process to this stuff, you know? So then they're in Bethel, and Elijah comes back to Elisha, his student, the future prophet. And he says, Elisha, I need you to stay here because now, number two, I need to go to Jericho for a little while. Stay here, stay put. I need to go to Jericho. See, Elijah knew that God was going to take him. God had already spoken that. So he wanted to get away from Elisha so that God could take him up in a chariot of fire, if you've ever read the story of Elijah. So he's like, stay here so I can can leave with God already. I'm trying to get out of here. So when he tells him, I want to go to Jericho, Elisha again says, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I'm not going to leave you. He's like, okay, come on again. There's a process to this. I'm going to go through the process with you. And I want to see this stuff happen. I'm going to experience the process. They get to Jericho. They do business in Jericho when it's over. Elijah's like, I haven't left yet, God. I'm trying to get out of here. Elisha, do me a favor and stay here in Jericho. I need to go to Jordan real quick. But as I head toward Jordan, I need you just to stay. Please listen to me. And again, Elisha says, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you, Elijah. Elisha would not leave his side. What was it that Elisha wanted? What was he desiring? What was he hungry for? Go to verse 9. Verse 9 says that, So so it was when they had crossed over, Elijah said to Elisha, because he got tired, right? And he says, Elisha, come on, ask me already. Ask, what may I do for you before I am taken away from you? What is it, Elisha? 
because you're following me everywhere and I'm trying to get away from you so I could go up to heaven. So ask me already, what do you want? And I love what Elisha says. Please, Elijah, please, let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. That's all I want. I want what you have to be in me and even greater in me. I want your calling. I want that. God called me to that. I'm ready. I'm ready to do this. And I read this and I'm like, man, I get this. Here is Elisha. He was already empty. He left it all. And he wanted nothing but to gain it all. Elisha in the story with Elijah was never interested in physical inheritance. He didn't tell him, give me your crops and he didn't tell him, give me your oxen and give me your sheep and he didn't tell him to give me your house. When you go, you think I can move into your house? He didn't ask him for any of that because I get it that in his mind, he's like, God's going to provide that stuff. He's the ruler of this world. He, he's going to catch He's got that. What I want is what I desire is I want what you have spiritually. Give me the spiritual inheritance. I'm not caught up in the physical things. I want a double portion of your spirit. Not physical inheritance, but I want your spiritual power. It makes sense to me. I look at this and I say, I see his obedience. Where he left it all to gain it all. You know where it's found? A couple pages. In 1 Kings chapter 19. When Elijah was walking through Elisha's house. He sees him. And God says, get Elisha. For he will be your student. And he will grow under you. And Elijah says, drop everything and come follow me. For you will be the next prophet. And in 1 Kings 19. The Bible says that Elisha departed, Elijah departed, found Elisha. He was working, everyone say he was working. And he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. He was working out in the field. And as he was with his oxen, Elijah passed by him. And he threw his mantle over him, which was a sign of the prophets of, you now have the prophetic call. There's a calling of God. He spoke it to me. So now the prophetic call is upon you. Come to be the next prophet. It's what the prophets would do in these days. Look at verse 20. So Elisha leaves the oxen. And he runs after Elijah. And then he says, please let me go kiss my father and my mother first. And then I promise I will follow you. So Elijah says, go back again and do this because of what I have just done to you. Now I have all of verse 21 in my notes highlighted. Here it is. So Elisha turns back from Elijah and he, this is what the rich young ruler should have done. And he took a yoke of oxen and he slaughtered them and he boiled their flesh and using the oxen's equipment, he gave it to all the people. And then they ate. Then he arose. And then he followed Elijah. And then he became his servant. 
Elisha burned what was of worth to him, his oxen. Made a massive barbecue. Invited everyone to the party. And gave it all the food away. Eat all my oxen. That is my money source. Is what I plow the ground with. Eat it all. Because I'm no longer going to pertain to these things. I'm leaving it all. You see that man over there? I follow him now. In him now, I look to gain it all. And what God's called me. And he gets rid of all his possessions. He leaves from mother and father's house. He destroys all his oxen. The people eat of his oxen. So he, you know what he's doing there, right? He can't even go back to it now. Because they're no longer there. They've been eating. I look at Elisha's life and I say, I see what he did here. He left it all to gain it all. And I know this because a few moments later when Elijah is trying to leave from this earth, he says, what do you want from me, Elisha? And he says, I want that spiritual power. I want the spiritual inheritance. No wonder he didn't ask for physical things because he already let go of it all. And all he wanted was to gain everything that was of God for his life. So I close with how I started. I close with the message title. Is God calling you in your life? Certain things, a lot of things, most of things in your life, whatever it might be. Is he calling you to leave it all? So that at the end you could gain it all in him. What are you holding on to that God has been saying, let go of it already and watch what I do. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. Lord, I get it. You're calling this church. You're calling me. You're calling us to live a life of obedience. You're calling us to leave it all so that we could gain it all. And I don't know the depth of every person in here and what are things that you're speaking down deep into their spirits but I know that as this word has come out you you are revealing those things to them and if there's anyone here that needs to take that step of faith I pray that whatever process they might be going through that that process would cause them to be obedient in that step. That it would not bring confusion and fear and doubt. But that it would bring an excitement to see God's glory be revealed as they take a step of faith. And whatever it is that God might be calling them. So for the person that's going through the process, let them not lose hope. But let them find hope. Let them find strength. Let them find courage. Let it propel them to be obedient with all of their lives. If there's anyone here that needs prayer, listen, I'm with you. And you're saying, that word was for me. I need prayer in my life. I'm I'm going through a process and I need to just take a step of faith in my life. And I need to believe in this. And I can't get so caught up in the physical things. 
I need this stuff, Lord. I need the spiritual inheritance. I need to see over this matter and what it brings to me physically. And I got to understand that you're doing something greater in this and that there's a reward in eternity for this. If that's you right now, don't even think about it. Don't even look around. Come up to the altar. Open up your heart. Lift up your hands and say, God, that's me. I'm, I'm Elisha. Give me the spiritual power. Give me the spiritual inheritance. So as we worship the Lord with song, you need that prayer. And God is telling you, leave it all right now so you can gain it. The altar's open. Come up with your arms open. Come with your hearts open.